Jesus announces his departure, says, guys, I'm out of here. I'm gone. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm done here. And he says, and I know that sorrow has filled your heart. Now, many of us tend to approach the Bible um, or, or, or the people in the Bible as, as characters, almost like two-dimensional dimensional characters, right? Like they're not even real. They're just kind of in a storyline. And we don't ever really kind of get down to the fact that these are real people that, that we read about in Scripture, and we tend to overlook their, their humanity, right? Hum, humans who deal with sin and emotions and anxiety and doubt and heartache and worry. And so I love this section because that unwires the notion for us. It undoes the notion for us that uh, these, these guys are just real people like you and me. Like they deal with the same things that you and I deal with. And so it's, it's this, this moment where Jesus says, listen, all of these things may or may not sound good to you, but what I know is that you're sorrowful. Like your sorrow has filled your heart. You're not in a good place right now because of the things that I'm telling you. And so I'm often asking you um, to, uh, to put, put yourself in the context. And, and so I, I really, really want to kind of nudge you to do that today. So as, just maybe as we kind of settle in and roll through this text, I, I would ask that you do two things. Whatever is, whatever's on your mind right now, Whatever's got you worried about what's happening today or next week or next month or next year, um, I, I would just ask if, if you can try to just maybe pause that for a minute. Like just maybe put that on pause for just a minute. Try to clear your mind the best you can in these next few moments. And then I want you to... I'm not sure who we're calling yet. But also, so first thing I want you to do is kind of clear your mind, and we'll clear his watch's mind. Uh, she's worried too. And, and then I want you to think about the context that we're in. I want you to think about that these guys are humans, that uh, they've approached Jesus up to this point with, with a very human thoughts and human mindset, and they go through human things, real-life issues. And so those are the two things I want us to do as we, as we jump into this text, that these guys, think about it, for three years, they've been walking with Jesus. Three years now. And most of the Jewish nation at this time, uh, they had this understanding of the Old Testament prophecies of this coming Messiah. And that he was going to be this earthly king who would come in and rule and reign after he overthrows the Roman authorities. After the tyranny is gone and there's peace on earth. And he set up his king. And he's the one who's going to reign, reign over Israel forever. That's the picture uh, uh, that, the, that the Old Testament um, was, was looked at by the people in this day in the context. And Jesus has been teaching these disciples something different. He's been saying all along, yeah, but my kingdom's different, man. Like, the, what's going down here is going to look totally different. It's not the ki- I'm not the kind of king that you're wanting me to be. And so he would frustrate both those who wanted to draw near to him and those who were completely turned off from him. He frustrated both of those. And so in their minds... Here they are. They've, they've heard Jesus' teachings, but they still have this, this religious idea and this political idea of who Jesus is supposed to be. It's ingrained in their, in their minds that, okay, he's saying something different. We're not sure what it's supposed to look like, but we're, we're going to hitch our wagons to this guy because I think what he's saying is true. He is going to like topple the, the, the tyranny of Rome, and he is going to set up a throne here and rule. So we want to be part of this. We've, we're hitching our wagons to this because we want to be part of his rise to power. And so we're going to do whatever we need to do to stick with him. 
And we even see that through the Gospels where, where James and John would even ask the question like, hey, Jesus, um, we're going to ask you something and promise us you'll, you'll do it. Promise us you'll say yeah. And so he's like, what's the question? He's like, well, when you come into your kingdom, can, can, can me and James, can we like have our seats next to you left and right? See, they have this, they have this mindset that there's just going to be this earthly rule and that they're going to be able to kind of plug into some of this power of this earthly ruler. And so they have this mindset. And here we see Jesus telling them what he's already said before over and over. And he knows they, they haven't grabbed hold of the idea yet. They haven't learned what he's been trying to teach them yet to say, hey, look, I'm a Messiah. I'm the one who's coming to rule and to reign. I'm coming and I'm not coming the way you think that I'm, I'm not going to set up and establish my throne the way you think I'm going to set up my throne. I'm a suffering servant. The only, the only rise that I'm going to experience is being lifted up on a cross. That's the only way that this kingdom gets established. So instead of Jesus rising to the top of all political rule, he would actually acquire his throne th through being lifted up on a cross. Instead of Jesus being celebrated by the nation of Israel, they would be the very ones who would turn him over to the Roman authorities. And so these guys have pushed all their chips to the middle of the table. They've, they've put it all on the line. There is no safety net for these guys. They gave it all away. They walked away from it all. They've left careers, they've left families, and they've placed all their hope in him as the Messiah to their best understanding. So that's what they've done here. And so we've seen over the past several weeks that Jesus is drilling into these guys that they're not as awesome as they've led themselves to believe. Like, guys, you're not that awesome. One of you will betray me. One of you, or you're going to go and turn, you're going to be the one, you're going to sell me for next to nothing. One of you... You're going to deny me. Someone's going to ask, do I, you're going to tell people that you don't even know me. My arrest is at hand and you will be scattered. So you're not as awesome as you think you are. You're not as great as you think you are. And so this is the sorrow that has started filling their hearts. When Jesus says, I know you're sorrowful because I've been saying some things that should hurt you. Think about the person who, who influences you the most. Think about a mentor or someone who, who you feel like is close to you, who has influence over you. And, and just imagine that person over dinner one night just starts telling you how lame you are. Like the, you're not as awesome as you think you are. Like that's going to hurt a little bit. Like, hold on, I look up to this person and he's telling me that I'm going to do these things. I don't think I'm going to do these things. And he said, yeah, you will. You will. You're going you're to betray me. You're going to walk away. Some of you won't even be around when the, when the time comes. When, when, the, when the ball drops for, for my death, you won't even be around. You'll be scattered. So the sorrow has started filling their hearts. And in addition to their, their dreams of becoming great with Jesus, or they're being dashed. In addition to that, they've, they've just walked closely with Jesus for like three years. All right, and so let's, let's just maybe think about that in, in another context that, yeah, they have these aspirations for what they think it's going to look like. But at the, at the other side of that coin is that they're just, they're friends with Jesus. They've spent all of their time with Jesus. So they've grown close to him. So they've enjoyed the benefit of being friends. And so just imagine, like, 
you know, imagine Jesus coming in the flesh and saying, hey, I would really just like to hang out in your family group, maybe lead your family group for the next few years, if that would be cool. Uh, and, and we'll just kind of get to know one another and, and, you know, we can spend time together and you would get to see Jesus's sense of humor. You would get to see how he interacts with people. And not only that, you'll probably get to see some pretty cool other things that seem impossible. Like imagine that type of close friendship, that type of uh, connection with Jesus. They, they've got that here. And these guys have experienced a deep level of friendship for the past three years. They love him. These guys love Jesus. And Jesus is reinforcing the idea. He says, guys, I'm leaving. I know that this, you know, we, 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 we've got, you've got this idea where this thing's supposed to go, but I'm gone. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities tonight. It's happening. And I'm going to be lifted on a cross. I'm going to, they're, going to, they're going to execute me today. And so sorrow has filled their hearts. They're full of sorrow. And he says this. He says, I know that about you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, some of your Bibles might say truly, truly, or verily, verily. He's saying, listen up. I'm fixing to say something that might go contrary to what you believe. Or I might say something that don't land on you right. Or I might say something that is, if you haven't listened to anything else today, you need to listen to this. Truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. But Jesus sits there and tells these guys, I know you're sorrowful. I know that you, you thought we had, you know, we had a good thing going here, but it's better for you that, that I leave, that I get out of here. I, don't, I want to make a confession. I would go full on Simon Peter right here. Like if, that was, if I was in the room, I'd be like, uh, actually, Jesus... It wouldn't be better for me if you would leave right now. You're Jesus, right? So, so I would go Simon Peter on him right here. Uh, but Jesus drops this on them, and he knows that it's going to be hard to swallow and that these guys wouldn't understand and that it, would be to their, that it would be to their advantage that he leaves. Why? Why is it better that Jesus leaves? Why is it better that he leaves them? Because he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you that I go away. And he says in the last part of verse 7, For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus pretty much sets it up saying, The reason it's to your advantage that I get out of here is because the helper's coming. I'm going to send the helper. And that's better. How does that land on you? Like, honestly, right now, I'm asking an honest question for you to consider. How does that land on you right now that Jesus says it's better for him to be away and for the Spirit to be here with you? My experience is very few, if any of us, can read those words and wholeheartedly affirm them. Like, very few of us in this room would go, say, yeah, yeah, man, it's better that Jesus is not here. It's better that he's, he's gone away. It's to our advantage that he's not here. How many of us could actually wholeheartedly say that? And I want you, Sulphur Community, I want you to get this this morning. I, I want you to grab hold of this, that it is actually better for God the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us than for Jesus himself in the flesh to preach here Sunday after Sunday. It's better for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on this church than it is for Jesus to stand in front of us and preach a sermon Sunday after Sunday. Do you believe that? Like, can you even fathom that? 
Or do you just read it and say, okay, well, Jesus said it's better, so I guess it's better. Or do you actually believe that? Jesus sees the Holy Spirit much differently than we do. He sees, he's, he's looking through a totally different lens. He's actually validating the Holy Spirit's ministry as better than his own earthly ministry. He's telling these guys right now that what you saw over the last three years with my ministry is just a piece, man. It's just a piece. It's going to be so much better when the Holy Spirit comes. Why? I want to take the next several minutes. Most of our time is going to be spent today asking that question. Why is it better that the Holy Spirit be sent and Jesus be with the Father, be away from us? So the Spirit of God came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament was looking ahead to this future Messiah. Right? So we're going to get in. The perfect Messiah was who was promised to come to pay the wages of sin, which is death. That the Messiah was coming. That, that God had promised that he was sending a savior and that he would be put into the grave and would soon after be resurrected to establish his final authority and his final rule. It's the gospel. It's what we believe about Jesus, that he is the Messiah come down from heaven, fully man, fully God, to have all of the sins of the world laid on his shoulders, carry them to the cross, be sacrificed on our behalf, carry the sin to the grave and rise again over Overthrowing death, overthrowing the reign and rule of the enemy. That's good news for us. That's good news for you and me because we can't do that. We don't have the ability to do that. And so the promise is there that Jesus would do that for us, that he was the one to come. But the Old Testament doesn't stop there. You see, the Old Testament had prophecy after prophecy. And so not only did it point to the one that, that would come and satisfy the wrath of God, but the Old Testament would point beyond this good news. Be, yes, that is great news, but there's more. There's, there's more. And, and the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 44 would say, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. So Isaiah is saying here that the day is coming through this work of the Messiah. This Messiah is going to come and through the work that he accomplishes, God's spirit will be sent to us and it'll be like water on a desert floor. It's going to be a refreshing spring of water. So through the work of this promised Messiah comes the spirit of truth that God's going to come and pour out on this land. This outpouring of God's spirit will cause people to grow. It will cause them to grow up like trees that would give off fruit to provide shade around them. This is the picture that Isaiah gives us. And then in Ezekiel, my most frequently referred scripture of Old Testament Salvation, how God works in salvation, Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, 
and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so Ezekiel is saying here that there's a day coming through the work of this Messiah where God will give his people new hearts. Through the work of this Messiah, God's going to do a thing. He's going to give us new hearts and not only just give us new hearts, but he's going to put his spirit in us and cause us to walk in obedience, to walk in worship, to walk in love and service. He said, day is coming and and he will take those dead hearts that don't love God, that that don't hate sin, that have no no desire nor has any power to obey God. He's going to take those hearts from us and put new hearts in us that have life, that beat with worship. Ezekiel's prophesying that through the work of this coming Messiah, God's people will move from outside-in conformity to inside-out people, transformed people. And then he'll say in the next chapter, chapter 37, he says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. So the context here in Ezekiel is absolute craziness right now. So he's... He's being led by the Spirit into this valley of dry bones, into this place where there's dry bones everywhere. The Spirit of the Lord has given him this vision. And and the Spirit asks him, what do you say about these bones? Do they have life in them at all? Prophesy to these bones and tell them to come to life. And right there before his eyes, as he he prophesies that, that skin and muscle and tissue start growing on these bones, and life starts happening. And so what's being communicated here in, the, in Ezekiel and to the nation of Israel is that through the work of the Messiah, God is taking people who are spiritually dead. Through the work of Jesus, God is taking people who are spiritually dead, who don't love him, who don't seek after him, and he breathes life into them so that they will follow him and love him and worship him. That's what salvation is. He takes a people who don't love him, who are dead in their sins and transgressions, who who do not desire to do good at all, whose eyes are not fixed on God at all, but are absolutely opposed to anything about God. And he goes after those people and he puts a new heart in them that beats for him. And he puts his spirit with him that causes them to walk in his ways and to be obedient. So the 30,000 foot idea for this that through the work of Jesus in his life, death and resurrection, he has changed the way God deals with you. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God deals with you on a different level now. You don't walk around in condemnation. You have Jesus as your Savior, as the one who has satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. And all you do is believe. That's what he's been saying through these several chapters is just, I don't need you to get up and do a bunch of good things. I don't need you to go and serve a people and give this and do that. I just need you to believe. Just believe in me. That's what he's asking for. And so what we need to grab a hold to in these passages is that 
Yes, we receive forgiveness and reconciliation through Christ's work, but it doesn't end there. That's not the end of it. That's the very beginning of our walk with Jesus. In Christ, you and I are actually empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, it would say, chapter 4, so that we could walk in a manner worthy of the call by which we've been called with all humility and gentleness. You want to know what the mark of being filled with the Spirit is? Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit continues to fill, fulfill the Old Testament. So the Spirit of God does that, right? That's, that's why the ministry of the Spirit of God is better than Jesus' earthly ministry. But it's also better because the Spirit of God has no geographical, physical limitations. The prophet Joel, this is kind of toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's, he says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So consider Jesus' ministry in the context of Judea in this area of Galilee. We see many, many phenomenal moments through the, through the work of Jesus, through the ministry of Jesus. We see multitudes healed. We see multitudes delivered. We see hungry people are, are fed. We see dead people come to life. We see adulterers and prostitutes are given hope. We see religious people who are called to repentance. Those are all glorious things that we see in the life of Jesus. But these are all limited. All these wonderful moments were, were limited to one geographical location by God's design. So when the work of Jesus the Messiah is finished, the Holy Spirit does not restrict himself to one geographical location. And Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage that the Spirit come because this is going to become a, a universal situation, a universal redemption. God the Holy Spirit is moving and working in Sulphur, Louisiana. God the Holy Spirit is moving and working in North India, and he's working in Mexico, and he's working in Morocco, and he's working in Kenya, and Estonia, and Haiti, all over the globe. Because of the finished work of Jesus, that's good news. That's good news. The ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is better than the earthly ministry of Jesus because he turns persecution into conviction. So we've talked about this. The last few weeks, we've seen Jesus tell his friends about the pushback that they're fixing to get. You guys are fixing to be persecuted. You're going to get a lot of pushback for what's going to happen. You're getting ready to experience this. You're going to be driven from the synagogues. Like that's the ultimate shame of the day, to be driven from the synagogues. And you're going to be put on trial by the world. But the arrival of the Holy Spirit, here's the deal. We haven't touched on this yet. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is going to reposition the disciples in this whole trial, right? It, he says here, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So remember, we've hit that term helper a few times already. And there's what we've learned so far is that there's really no... Um, English word for the, the, the word that's being used in the Greek there is called paraclete or parakletos. 
and so there's really no, we can't translate it into other, anything other than maybe helper or, or counselor or friend. And so your Bible might say one of those words to describe what my Bible says as helper. And so what we've learned is that Jesus is literally saying this person is a, one who is called in. Uh, and, and we're thinking judicial terms. So he's a helper. He's a counselor from a judicial standpoint who is, who is called in to give a testimony. To, to, he's called in to advise or to counsel a defendant. And Jesus is saying, hey, the world is gonna, you're going to be on trial by the world, but I'm going to send the helper in. And the helper is going to come in and be a counselor, a helper, a friend. He's going to advise and counsel on your behalf. So he tells his friends this, that the world's, come, the world's coming to persecute you. But what's beautiful about this text and what we haven't learned about the helper yet, but we'll learn here today, is that he goes into the courtroom and he completely shakes up the whole process. He completely flips everything around. He dismantles the proceedings so that he would become the prosecuting attorney against the world. So what we've learned so far is that the helper comes in to provide counsel to someone who's, who's facing some pretty serious charges. And so when he walks in and when he starts advising and counseling and helping, he will actually turn the whole proceedings around and put the world on trial. And that's what we see in this text. Look at verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Okay, so now we're prosecuting, right? He's not only coming to your defense, but he's flipping the whole thing around. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The world will think that they're trying you. The world will think that they have you on trial. But through the work of God, the Holy Spirit, it is actually the world that is going to be put on trial. And they'll be tried based on these charges. Here's the charges that they get, they get rung up with. They will be convicted of sin. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is not just to, just to point out sins and failures in your life so that you can start working on those and try to clean yourself up. Yeah, I know that's bad. I need to try to do better there. Let me try to do these things to try to cover that up. The essence, in, in essence, the Holy Spirit will make belief in Jesus the primary focus. He said, no, 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 we're, we're all sinful. We all walk around in this, this state of rebellion. But I'm, make, I'm not making that the main thing. I'm making belief in Jesus the main thing. So we can all go down our list of sins that we committed this week. Some of us can go down the list of sins we've committed this morning. Some of us can, can identify on that list where my heart is being opposed to God right now. And while I don't intend to reduce the severity of that, they're secondary. You're not believing Jesus for something. You're not believing Jesus. The primary sin of the world is when we look for acceptance in someone or something else other than Jesus. That's the essence of sin. Is when we try to find acceptance in, in someone or something else other than Jesus. And so that's what the Holy Spirit makes primary. He said, you're not believing Jesus. I will convict the world of sin because they don't do good works. They do bad things. They say bad things. No. I convict the world of sin because they don't believe 
They don't believe. And so we, want, we don't want to, to, we want to make sure we're very clear about what goes first, the cart or the horse. And so we're not here about behavior modification and trying to tell you that you have to do all of these good things and, and that way God won't like you, God will like you better. Or if you don't do those good things and God's not going to like you so much. No, 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 no. Believe in Jesus. That's our encouragement to you. If you find yourself in a place that you feel like you're far from God, you're disconnected from him because of something, some bad habit or some bad choice that you made, some sinful step that you've taken, what we're asking you is just to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus because that's what he would instruct in this text. We've all tried living by this morality scale, right? Well, you know what? There's, you know, there's, there's Hitler over here, right? And then there's, there's, there's Mother Teresa over here. Man, if I can just kind of try to operate in this area, I'll probably be doing okay. Like, do, don't we all operate like that? And that's, a, that's sinful of us to try to think that we could actually behave in a way that God would love us any more or any less. So believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do any, everything that I've instructed you. So the Spirit comes to convict the world of our efforts to find acceptance anywhere but in Jesus. That's the sin that he's convicting us of. And the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. So listen here, church. Especially, let's listen to this one. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, he would say, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That's a text for religious people. That's a text for church people who think that they're righteous. And walk around with a religious, righteous attitude. That's for you in this room who walk around with that kind of attitude. That's who he's convicting of righteousness. He's talking about a religious righteousness. And so many of us in this room struggle with this. Can I just be honest? So many of us in this room struggle with this religious righteousness. And I won't go into all the details of a polluted garment, but that's what God calls it. That's what he calls it. He said it's just, it's filthiness is what it is. So one of the beautiful things about Jesus' earthly ministry is not only did he pursue the irreligious, but he pursues the religious. Those of us who struggle with self-righteousness and think that we have it all together and we come here on Sunday and we put on this this facade that we're something or someone holy or religious and this is just our everyday activity and this is how we roll knowing that our hearts have some dark places that Jesus needs to shine a light in he comes after both of us and so he went after the tax collector and he went after the prostitute and he went after the Pharisee who trusted in his own goodness and he went after that person who trusted in his own rule keeping all walking around while walking around with a dark and wicked heart. And when Jesus taught the parable of the lost coin, the lost son, the lost sheep, I don't know if you remember those stories. We would like to think that the, the, the parable of the, the prodigal son is, 
you know what, it's a story about forgiveness and how you're supposed to forgive and how the father forgave the son. Or it's about how, it's a story about how you have to come to the end of yourself in order to kind of go back to God. But that's not at all what Jesus is trying to communicate in that story. Jesus is talking to Pharisees when he's addressing this issue. When he tells this story, he says, hey, but there's this guy, this brother who's out there saying, whoa, too much grace. You mean to tell me I've stuck it out here. I've taken care of the farm. I've done all the things that you wanted me to do, Dad. And this cat has gone and just given it all away, wasted it all away, and he comes back and you welcome him like, like nothing ever happened? So that's who he's addressing. Religious righteousness. And the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment. So when the world is on trial, the world is on trial because of sin, because of righteousness, and because of judgment. When the death, with the death of resurre- and resurrection of Jesus came, it defeated the kingdom of darkness, and it stripped Satan of all of his rights. Defeated the kingdom of darkness and stripped Satan of all of his rights, and the Spirit convicts concerning this judgment. By assigning the world to one of two camps. You belong in one of two camps. World, church, you in this room, individual. We belong in one of two camps. Judgment means that you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, belonging to the kingdom of darkness with this, having this rebellion in our bloodline belonging to that kingdom or in Christ being redeemed and forgiven of our rebellion towards God. Now, my flesh, I can tell you this, um, as I continue to look at this part over and over over the last little while now, I really have a desire just to kind of take a step back with this one. But the truth is so much more liberating for us Right, because there's, there are so many um, well-intended people today who are just flat out out of line to sit here and say, well, it's not an either-or type thing. It's kind of everybody's on their own journey type thing and kind of wherever you are and you kind of get on this scale of I'm closer to Jesus than I am from, from Satan. Like you're either, you're either in one of two camps. Biblically speaking, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who belong to the kingdom of darkness, and there are those who belong to the kingdom of God. Cut and dry. So which, which camp is your allegiance found? Which camp is your allegiance found? And in this text, we learn that there is no neutral position. There's no like, well, I'm just kind of like right here. I wouldn't say I'm there, and I wouldn't say I'm there. The Bible doesn't give us room to say that. You're in one of two camps. And apart from the atoning work of Jesus in our lives, we stand judged already. And so he's convicting the world of judgment. We're like, oh, I don't know if I'm judged or not. No, you're judged because without, if you're not in Christ, you're in Adam. And judgment has already been placed on you. One of our uh, favorite texts of all time is John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're not going to stop there today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But 
Whoever does not believe is condemned already. So judgment is already there. It's not what Jesus shows up and says, uh, yeah, guilty, not guilty, guilty, not guilty. We all stand judged. And Jesus comes to save. He doesn't come to condemn. He comes to save. And so it said, because he has not believed in the name of the, the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Here's the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you're here today and it And you struggled coming through the door today because there's, there's this, this trail that's following you right now, a trail of darkness that's just kind of following you right now, but you decided I'm, I'm going for it anyway. That's God working in your life right now. That's, that's God working in your, in your life to, to bring you to the light. And so I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you powered through. I'm so thankful that you came today. And the last public words of Jesus in John chapter 12 says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So if you, believe, if you want to believe in God, you believe in Jesus. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So you want to see God? Look at Jesus. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. If you hear the words of Jesus and you do not keep them, he does not judge you. You are already judged. You stand condemned without Jesus. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So this work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment is not so that we would be left like hopeless and in despair. Like, oh, no, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm, I'm righteous. I'm self-righteous. I'm just condemned. I'm judged. That's not why the Spirit comes. The outpouring of the Spirit is kindness from God. It's God's goodness. It's God's grace that we might have our hearts broken over the current situation that we find ourselves in. Whatever it is, wherever we're at, that the Holy Spirit would break our hearts for the condition or the place that we find ourselves in right now. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit is given to us for, that we might see where we are and throw ourselves on the mercy of the court as one who is guilty and in need of pardon. That's what the job of the Holy Spirit is. And we'll move on. The Spirit of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is, is better than Jesus' earthly ministry because the Spirit guides us into all truth. This is a good one. This is a good one for us, for the church. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Imagine that, Jesus saying, I've got so much more to say to you guys, but y'all can't even handle it right now. Like just what I've told you tonight has completely uh, like wore you guys out, and so I can't say any more right now. But it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So we are a church. I am a, I am a pastor who I would say puts a considerable amount of, of focus and emphasis on the gifts of the spirit. Um, 
And so if you've talked to me or you've talked to us or you've gone through one of our new members classes, one of the things that we try not to do, we try not to just like, hey, there's a person who is available, put them where we need them. So God has given the church gifts of all kinds to exhort one another, to grow the church, to serve the church. And so you may not be gifted in a certain area. And so we, we try to be very intentional about first helping you explore where you're gifted and then empowering, mobilizing and equipping you to serve in that area. So if we have a need in our church uh, that we don't have a giftedness for, uh, we might just consider not even going after that until God gives us someone who's gifted to serve in those areas. Um, and not only that, um, if like if you've. Like, so we would rather, here's the deal, we would rather help, help you to explore God's uh, gift in you first and then equip and move you to, to serve with his family. And as we deploy these gifts throughout the, the church family, our church family, the ones that have been given to us, we want to be extremely careful because there's, there's two things that could happen when we say, well, let me back up and say this. I think a lot of times we, we look at the, the, the Holy Spirit of God the, as the drunk uncle of the Trinity. Like he's kind of, oh, we don't, he's unpredictable. We don't know about him. We don't know enough about him. And so we just kind of keep him in this box right here. Um, and so uh, one of the things, I think we could, we could go that route and, and we're in danger of going that route. To saying we're going to place restrictions on what God can and cannot do. Or we can go in the position where it's completely out of control. And just whatever anybody says they're gifted at, if we don't help them explore that, if we don't pray over that, if we don't mobilize and equip and, and set ministries in place, then we could, we could find ourselves equally in, in danger. And so here's the deal. All gifts, all gifts of the Spirit are given to the church to point one another to the glories of Jesus. So whatever gift you say or you feel like you have or that's been affirmed in you, it's confirmed by pointing to Jesus. So I've, ha I've, got, I've got a few gifts. One is, one is uh, uh, organization, administration, teaching, leadership. And all of those gifts are meant to point people to Jesus, not to point to me or to reveal new truth or to say, I've been given a new truth. I've been given a new revelation that no one's ever heard before. All truth, all truth is eternally transcendent and resides with God. All truth. So the Spirit guides us into a deeper understanding of the truth. The truth is already there. It resides with God. And the Spirit gives us a deeper understanding of these truths to see Jesus more clearly and to worship him more fully. So we, we see Jesus through the gifts of, uh, that, that God has poured out on the church through the Holy Spirit to worship him fully and to see him clearly. And so let me wrap up with this. Uh, the last uh, way that the Holy Spirit of God is better than the earthly ministry of Jesus is found in, look here, verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to me. 
or declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the job description of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus in bringing to bear and reminding us of everything that we are and everything that we have in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job description, why the Spirit is given to us, is to see Jesus clearly, worship him fully, glorify him, remind us of everything that we are and everything that we have in Jesus, to reveal and remind that in Jesus we are chosen, that we are blameless. I want you to, I want you to think about what Ephesians chapter 1 says and, and, and these promises that for those of us who are in Jesus, I want you to consider, do you really believe this, that you're blameless? That when no one else was going to choose you, God chose you and made you blameless, that he adopted you into his family, that he gave you his name, that he put a new spirit in you, that he has redeemed you, that he has blessed you, that he has forgiven you, that he's enlightened you, that he's united you with the Father, and that he's given us hope. And most of all, he sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit so that when you are chosen, when you are blameless, when you are forgiven, when you are redeemed, that that, does not be, that doesn't get undone, that nothing, no one can take you out of his hands, no one, that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because so many times I have so many conversations with people I think believe it, they th I think they get it, and they're like, no, you know what, I, I made this mistake, and there's absolutely no way that God can forgive me of that. Or I made this choice, or I did this thing, or I have this thing in my heart. And that's just, you know what, God can forgive me of a bunch of things, but he can't, he can't cover that one. And so I want, I want this text today to encourage you and remind you that you are sealed in Christ with the promised Holy Spirit. And if you're feeling conviction today, the Holy Spirit is a prosecuting attorney. And he's saying, you're convicted because you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. That's, that's why you're feeling convicted. You're convicted today because you do believe in Jesus, but you walk around with this self-righteousness that, that keeps you separated, keeps you distant, keeps you cold, keeps you uh, 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 less connected to God. Or are you judged? Are you just standing in that place where I don't believe in Jesus and I'm already judged and I just... I don't see no way out of this. I've tried to work my way out of this. I've tried to, to do good things. I've tried to give. I've tried to be generous, and none of, none of it works. So the challenge today is that you just believe. You just believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to empower you to do all the things that he commands you to do. And the work of Jesus is there to provide the forgiveness that we, we all so desperately need. So would you believe in him today? I don't care if you've already believed in him. Would you believe in him today in this moment right now where you're at? We need the gospel every day. And so do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that good news? Would you pray with me?
Lord, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you, Father, for the forgiveness and the redemption that comes through the work of Christ, who was lifted up on a cross, treated as a criminal, treated as, as we should have been treated. And God, I pray today that our hearts would be renewed through the word, through your promises, through the renewal that comes through just believing in Jesus. Lord, would you Lord, if there's a dead heart in this room, would you take that dead heart and give that person a heart of flesh and put your spirit in them so that they would have a heart that loves you, that hates sin, that walks in obedience, that glorifies you. I thank you for the gifts that you've given us in this local family. All the ways that you show us who you are more clearly so that we might worship you more fully. And for those of us who are trying to figure out how to walk in this rhythm of Christianity, would you begin to show us how you've gifted us, how you've promised that we're included in this plan of redemption, that you've given us a message and a gift to go and carry to the world and to the church. And so, Father, would you mobilize us this morning? Would you mobilize us today and this week? We love you, Jesus. And we give you this time and we give you our lives. We ask all these things. In your name.